podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the show on Wednesday, the 9th of November. We are in the midst of the EFL Cup and all the joys that it brings. And we are counting down the days until the World Cup. We have had news today that England defender Rhys James has been ruled out of the World Cup. The injury he sustained against AC Milan that he had been hoping to get back from it's over. He cannot make it in time and he will not be included in the England squad. There are still question marks over the availability of Kyle Walker and Calvin Phillips, but we know now for certain that Reese James and his Chelsea teammate Ben Chilwell 
will not be part of England's World Cup squad. Another injury blow suffered last night. Sadio Mane looks certain to miss the World Cup for Senegal, which is an enormous blow for him and for Senegal. He is their best player. He is their talisman. He is the match winner that they have. And he suffered a knee injury in Bayern Munich's 6-1 victory last night. He may still be included in the squad in the hopes that maybe he's back by the time the group stages kick round, but it seems unlikely they'll be able to play. But they might still just bring him because there is 26 spots and he could just be good to have around from a leadership and morale point of view. But we'll wait and see. Also last night, we had the final game in the career of Gerard Piquet. Barcelona were playing Osasuna. Osasuna, the surprise package in La Liga this season, uh, having a very good season uh, by their standards. They are currently sixth in the league. Uh, They went 1-0 up, Osasuna, at home to Barcelona on six minutes. Robert Lewandowski was sent off on 30 minutes for a second yellow card. Gerard Piquet, who was a substitute, was sent off without coming onto the pitch four minutes into first half stoppage time for insulting the referee. Just as the halftime broke and teams were walking off, he walked on and decided to insult the referee and he was sent off. So Gerard Piquet's career ended without him getting to play his his final game. Uh, Nico Gonzalez and a late Rafinha winner turned things around for Barcelona. Barcelona are top of La Liga, five points clear of Real Madrid. They have played a game more, but still, they will be clear going into the World Cup break. And I think that is a massively impressive achievement by Xavi. I think that Barcelona team is still a work in progress. I think they've still got a ways to go. But the fact that they're top after 14 games, I think you have to give them huge credit for. Defensively, they've been excellent this season. Still some kinks to work out. And obviously, they've got players to come back. Jules Koundé, Ronald Arejo, they will massively improve that defence, which has been pretty much locked down all season. They need to get Ansu Fati fit and firing. They need to get more from Ferran Torres. They could do it a little bit more consistency from Rafinha. They could do it out Lewandowski getting himself sent off being an idiot. Um, but there's certainly not a lot of talent there. And if they can get one player in this, in January in that holding midfield role, that will mean Busquets plays less because Busquets is washed. That could be vital to them. They could sell Frankie de Jong in January to fund that player, but it needs to be a holding midfielder of a high level. That's what they need. If they could find a Romeo Lavia type who's a little bit older, it would be perfect. Now, they might still look at Lavia, maybe not in January, but in the summer, because Gavi, Lavia, and Pedri would be incredible together and could grow and develop together. But Barca are well ahead of schedule, whether it's the wisest thing or not, because they obviously spent a lot of money in the summer and mortgaged a lot of the future, we'll see. But they're moving on from the past. They're moving on from some of the mistakes they've made over the years. And PK leaving is in part the end of an era. Once Busquets goes 
and Alba goes, that's kind of that great Barcelona team finished and they can move on with this new generation. In the EFL Cup last night, we had seven games. Turned out to be some quite good games as well. Uh, Stevenage won, Charlton won. Luke Norris scored a penalty for Stevenage on 22 minutes. Chuck Zaneke scored on 87 minutes for Charlton. The game went to penalties, and Charlton won 5-4 on penalties, so they are through. Upset in the next game, Bristol City won, Lincoln City 3. Lincoln were 3 up and cruising. Uh, Matty Virtue on 6 minutes, Ben House on 15, and then Paddy O'Connor on 49. Tommy Conway with a late consolation for Bristol City, but I think they'll be very disappointed to have gone out in that fashion. They got hit on the counter far too easily, and Lincoln City move on. Congrats to them. Bournemouth 4, Everton 1. Bit of an embarrassment here for Everton. Uh, Jamal Lowe put Bournemouth 1 up on 7 minutes. Junior Stanislas made it 2 on 47. Damari Gray pulled one back for Everton on 67 minutes. Uh, Marcondes, Emiliano Marcondes on 78. And Jaden Anthony on 82. Giving Bournemouth a very, very comprehensive and comfortable win. It was a heavily rotated Everton team, but it was also a heavily rotated Bournemouth team. So Everton can't really make the argument that, well, they had their best team out and we didn't. Everton had uh, Mina starting. He's one of their best 11. Patterson, he's one of their best 11. Jakure is one of their best 11. And Anthony Gordon is one of their best 11s. That's four of their best 11 players. And then you look at the Bournemouth team. I mean, Travers has lost his spot. He's only back in because Neto got injured, so he's not in their best 11. Uh, Stacey and Stevens certainly aren't. I would argue that Metham isn't great, but he's in their best 11. Zamora's probably in their best 11, so there's two. Rothwell and Pearson are not. I think Jade and Anthony probably is. But Stanislas, Christie and Lowe, for me, aren't in their best 11. Christie may be fringe, but at best that's four. I would say it's more likely three. Three of their best 11. So they were actually more heavily rotated than Everton. And walloped them 4-1. It'll be really interesting to see how that game plays out at the weekend. Frank Lampard now 37 games in charge of Everton Football Club. 37 games. And it isn't it isn't going perfectly, shall we say. It isn't a, a particularly good record that Frank has. 12 wins, 7 draws and 18 defeats. Now, bear in mind, Stephen Gerrard was sacked as Aston Villa manager after 40 games with 13 wins, 8 draws and 19 defeats. So if Lampard gets a win, a draw and a defeat in, the next, in his next three games, he will have the same record as Gerrard. Everton's next three are Bournemouth away at the weekend, Wolves at home in their first game back after the World Cup break, which will be the first game Julian Lopetegui takes charge of. And then Man City away. And I don't think anyone fancies them to win the Man City game. So can they get two wins in the other two games, Bournemouth and Wolves? They probably could, but it's not likely. They've only won two games away from home under Lampard 
in total. I think they need to have a very, very serious look at that position during the World Cup break because the he just gets us. Nonsense needs to stop. He doesn't get you at all, Everton fans. He is very much the opposite type of person to what you are. You are hardworking, left-leaning people from the city of Liverpool. And he is a privileged, right-wing southerner. He couldn't be further from you if you tried. He's also just not a good manager. He's the worst manager in the league. Like, we can make an argument, obviously, for Gary O'Neill, but there's nobody else. There's no one else you can make an argument for being worse than Frank Lampard. And Gary O'Neill isn't the permanent manager there. Um, MK Dons 2, Morecambe nil, Warren O'Hara and Matthew Dennis with the goals on 18 and 51 to give MK Dons the win. Leicester City 3, Newport County nil. James Justin opened the scoring on 44, but unfortunately got injured in that game and had to go off. And now, well, he probably wasn't likely to get included in the England squad. He might have been on the fringes of it with recent injuries. Uh, he looks now like he might miss the World Cup. Uh, Jamie Vardy then on 70 and 82 to wrap up a very comfortable win for Leicester City. Burnley 3, Crawley Town 1. Dom Telford put Crawley 1 up on 22 minutes, but Ashley Barnes equalised on 24. Anis Zorori on 79 and 90, giving Burnley a comfortable win that reflected their dominance in the game. And then finally, Brentford 1, Gillingham 3. Ivan Tony scored for Brentford. Mikhail Mandron equalised for Gillingham on the 75th minute. And then Gillingham beat Brentford on penalties. Tony scored. Mandron scored. Goldust scored. Adelican scored. The Silva scored. Wright scored. Mbomo scored. Alexandra scored. Jensen scored. Kashket scored. Mikkel Damsgaard missing for Brentford. Alex McDonald with the goal for... Gillingham, I've actually done that the wrong around. Gillingham kicked first, so Damsgaard missed the last penalty, but Brentford lose. That is, I would say, very, very disappointing for them. I think they would have been looking at having a decent enough run in the cup, but they are out. Tonight, we have a whole bu bunch of games. Uh, we have eight in total. Wolves against Leeds in an all-Premier League clash. Wolves have announced a new manager and I think we'll be hopeful of turning their season around. But I think this is a game they should probably be looking at just throwing because they've got to focus on the league. They don't need any more distractions after the World Cup. Uh, Leeds are in a little bit of form, having won the last two games. So they'll, they'll go there confident. Another all-Premier League clash between Nottingham Forest and Tottenham. Forest should be sending out their under-14s in this game. Uh, I think Tottenham will be looking at this as a competition they can win. So I would expect a fairly strong Spurs eleven. I think Conte is going to want reactions as well from his players after recent poor results. Arsenal at home to Brighton. You would expect Arsenal to win this game. 
they're in better form. Brighton have turned things around a little bit in the last couple of games after not a bad start to get under De Zerbi because the run of fixtures was so difficult, but certainly a you know a bad run of results. Um, great result the last couple of games. I expect Brighton to give Arsenal a good game, but I do think it'll be a rotated Brighton team. Arsenal will likely play a similar team to what they've been playing in the Europa League because they don't have a big enough squad to risk injury to one of their important players. Uh, Southampton against Sheffield United in a game that screams mid-90s Premier League. Back in the day where these games have been played at the Dell... Matt Letizia would have been in one team and, you know, you might have had Kovacic. Kovacic, what was his name? Darko Kovacevic? Kovacevic. Stefanovic and Kovacevic, the two lads Sheffield United brought in. They brought in Benito Carboni around then. They had Dan Petrescu for a year or two. Yeah, those were those were good times. Carlton Palmer rampaging through the middle of the midfield to do nothing. Uh, Des Walker at the back for Sheffield United as well, or Sheffield Wednesday back then. Good times, good times. Uh, West Ham against Blackburn Rovers. Uh, they didn't play each other on this day, but those two teams lining up against each other reminds me of that final day of the season when Blackburn won the title despite a defeat at Anfield because West Ham held Manchester United to a draw at Upton Park, uh, you'd fancy West Ham to get the win here because Blackburn's sole focus has got to be the league. Um, Newcastle against Crystal Palace, another all-Premier League clash. Toon probably don't have the depth to be looking too much at a cup run, but I still think they'll put out a fairly strong team. I think that should be a good game. The big one of the night is Manchester City versus Chelsea. Chelsea really need a win. Uh, their league form has been pretty desperate the last four or five games. So they really do need the win. City always take this competition seriously. So I'd expect a fairly strong City team. And then lastly, Liverpool at home to Derby County. It will be a very, very heavily rotated Liverpool team. But it should be enough to beat League One opposition. So we've got eight games. I think they're eight good games. I don't think there's other than the Liverpool Derby game, but there's no real mismatch here. And with Liverpool playing a heavily rotated team, in which there's probably not going to be more than one player who might be a semi-regular starter for the first team, I think it becomes a more even game. I'm going to just pick winners here. I'm going to say Leeds to beat Wolves, Spurs to beat Forest, Arsenal to beat Brighton, Saints to beat Sheffield Wednesday, West Ham to beat Blackburn, Newcastle to beat Palace, Liverpool to beat Derby. And I think given the injuries that they have, I, I think Chelsea are going to find it tough. So I'll give City. I'll go City with, with that one as well. Um, but should be a good night of games. Should be a good night of football that uh, you'll find something that you want to watch if your team is not playing tonight. The um the marquee game is obviously the, the City Chelsea one, but there's good value in, in Wolves Leeds, in Arsenal Brighton, in Toon versus Palace. And I think even the Southampton Sheffield Wednesday and West Ham 
Blackburn game should be interesting. Southampton, Sheffield Wednesday is Premier League against League One, so Saints should have a, a decent advantage. But look, West Ham are having a tough season in the Premier League. Uh, it obviously hasn't gone to plan, but they're still doing well in Europe. But, you know, they are sitting 15th in the Premier League. And if we look at the championship table, you've got Blackburn Rovers sitting there in second place. Uh, Blackburn, by the way, don't do draws. It's 12 wins, the most in the division. Eight defeats, which is the most in the top half. And zero draws. Zero draws. 24 scored, which is low enough for top half championship team. And uh, only 19 conceded, which is, I think, the joint third best defence in the division. Preston have the best. Birmingham and Coventry then. Coventry. Remember I said when they were bottom of the league, they've got a bunch of games in hand, they'll be fine. Well, they won three games in a row and now they said 12th. So, just shows how quickly things can turn around. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up to date with your championship action, Burnley are top, Blackburn second, Sheffield United third, Norwich fourth, Watford fifth, and QPR filling out the playoff spots, despite the fact They've lost three of the last four games since Michael Beale turned down the Wolves job. Um, then it's Preston, who are on a bit of a tear. They've won three in a row. Then Swansea, who've dropped off. They've only won one of the last five games and no wins in the last four. Uh, Luton, also in a dip. One win in five. Two defeats. That lost their last game. And obviously, they're maybe about to lose the manager as well if Nathan Jones decides to take the Southampton job. You've got Birmingham. You've got Millwall, Coventry in 12th, and Rising with three wins in a row, uh, alongside Preston, the form team in the division right now. Reading, they've lost three of five, three of four in, in truth, and they are tumbling down the table. Uh, whatever voodoo Paul Ince had going early in the season, that has worn out. Rotherham. In 14th, they've turned around a bad run. They'd lost three in a row, but they picked up a win at the weekend. Then we've got Stoke in 15th, Middlesbrough in 16th. They've taken a, a turn for the better. Um, Sunderland in 17th, level on points with Borough. Cardiff and Hull also level on points, but goal difference, obviously. So that brings us to 19th. Bristol are 20th. They've no wins in four. Blackpool are 21st. They've lost three in a row. West Brom have won their last two games and are starting to look a bit more like a football team. So they're in 22nd. Wigan are in 23rd. And Huddersfield are bottom of the league. But obviously, lots can happen. There are 46 games in a championship season. No team has played more than 20. And Coventry have still only played 18. And again, if Coventry were to win their two games in hand... They would find themselves in the playoffs. But bear in mind, they were in the bottom three only a few weeks ago. So that is how quick you can move yourself well up the championship table. Might as well take a quick gander at the League One table, which is topped off. Something went mental there. Um, excuse me. The League One table is topped off by Plymouth. They're four points clear of, of Ipswich. 
Uh, Ipswich going really well this year under Kieran McKenna. Sheffield Wednesday are third, Peterborough fourth, Portsmouth fifth, Bolton sixth, Derby County in seventh, Barnsley eighth, Charlton ninth, Port Vale tenth, Exeter eleventh, Wickham twelfth. That gives us our top half. Then we get Shrewsbury, Fleetwood Town, Bristol Rovers, Oxford United, Cambridge United, Cheltenham, Accrington Stanley, MK Dons, Morecambe, Forest Green and Burton Albion. No team has played more than 17 games. Portsmouth have played the least with 15. They've got two games in hand on the teams above them. Win both and they'll be fourth. Uh, they're currently fifth. So, you know, things are quite tight, but the there is a little bit of a gap developing um, at the top. And you could see maybe five teams stretch away from the rest and you end up in a situation where you've got maybe four or five teams challenging for one remaining playoff spot uh, in League 2 because why not Leighton Orient are top Leighton Orient are top three points clear of Stevenage who in turn are four points clear of Northampton in fifth then we get Barrow in sixth Bradford in th- sorry Barrow in fourth Bradford in fifth Swindon in sixth Carlisle seventh Salford City eighth and they've lost four or five uh, Gary Neville likely not to be too happy, which is always good. Mansfield 9th, Tranmere 10th, only one win in five there and no wins in the last four. Doncaster 11th, Walsall 12th, back-to-back wins for them has lifted them up the table a bit. Uh, Grimsby 13th, Stockport 14th, AFC Wimbledon, they've turned things around nicely. Three wins in the last four and a draw on the other one to 10 points out of a possible 12 uh, in four games, having only taken... 12 points from the previous 13 games. So nice turnaround there. Uh, Crew 16th, Sutton United 17th, Newport County 18th, Rochdale 19th, Crawley Town 20th, Harrogate, Gillingham, Hartlepool and Colchester. So Gillingham, who just knocked out Brentford in the EFL Cup, third from bottom in League 2, no wins in the last five or six games in the league. They've only won twice all season. Uh, they do have a game in hand. If they win that game in hand, they'll jump a few spots up the table. So they're not necessarily fodder, but you know they're in that mix. Um, and so we might as well just quickly have a glance at our friends in the National League and see how they're shaping up. It is Notts County top, two points clear of Wrexham, but Wrexham do have a game in hand. And that game in hand, I believe, is tonight against Scunthorpe. It's an away game. Then we have Chesterfield. They're five points behind Wrexham. But they're four points ahead of Solihull Moors. Woking and Southend, who are four through six, all on 30 points. Then Boreham Wood in seventh. Eastleigh in eighth. Barnet ninth. Bromley tenth. York City eleventh. Dagenham and Redbridge twelfth. Wheelstone in thirteenth. That's that little Wheelstone Raider fella, isn't it? Um... He he had a brief moment as an internet sensation. He internet sensation is so funny. He um, there's a nightclub in the town that I'm from, which most you know is Navin. And at, at one point, he was a special guest that they had in, which just tells you how grim, uh, things were. Um, Maidenhead fourteenth, Dorking Wanderers fifteenth, Halifax sixteenth, Aldershot seventeenth, Altrincham eighteenth. 
Oldham Athletic 19th, Yeovil 20th, Scunthorpe 21st, and Maidstone United 22nd, Gateshead 23rd, and Torquay United bottom on 17 points. And Torquay, remember, they drew with Derby in the FA Cup at the weekend uh, off the back of beating Aldershot 6-1. So, you know, they, they, they may be turning things around uh, belatedly this season. So that is the lay of the land in the uh, the lower leagues of English football. Not that you asked for that, but that is the content I know that you want. Uh, we'll take a break. We, when we come back, we'll go through the bits of news that we have and we'll do the gossip. Again, it's going to be a short one today because there's just not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, if you're looking for a bit more Liverpool content, the Daily Red um, scouted on Anfield Index Pro, check those out. But otherwise, I'll be back in a sec. See you soon. Right, welcome back. So, Switzerland have named their World Cup squad. We have Gregor Kobel, Philip Cohn, Jonas Omlin, and Jan Sommer, four goalkeepers. Uh, Manuel Akanji, Ire Comert, Nico Alvedi, Ricardo Rodriguez, Fabian Scher, and Sylvan Vidmer as the defence. Most of them, Akanji, Alvedi, Rodriguez, Shar, and Vidmar have been around years. Um, there's going to be a reckoning for Swiss football, though, when they all retire from international games, which bar Alvedi and Akanji is probably in the next couple of years. Um, Abishir, Fernandez, Fry, Proler, Jashari, Okafor, Ryder, Shakiri, So, or Sao, Stefan. Xhaka and Zakaria. It's a hard-working group of midfielders with some real talent. Noah Okafor is a real talent in there. And then in attack, they've got Breland Bolo, Christian, Fras F Christian Fasnecht, um, Harris Seferovic and Ruben Vargas. It's not an inspiring squad, but it's a squad that knows each other very, very well and always tends to overperform a little bit at these international tournaments because they're well coached, they're well set up, they're well drilled, they're well organized. They've got leaders everywhere and they're just a team that has a great chemistry. So I would expect to see the Swiss make it hard for the for everybody they come up against. I don't think they'll really pull up any three any trees, but could certainly see them could certainly see them causing some trouble. For, for some of the teams that they'll come against. So their group, uh, they are in Group G. Now, it's a really tough group. They're in with Brazil, Serbia, and Cameroon. Their first game is against Cameroon, which is the easiest of the three, uh, but by no means an easy game. They'll expect to win that. But I think they'll look to cause Brazil and Serbia some problems. I don't know if they'll be successful in doing so, I don't have them coming out of that group. I think Brazil and Serbia should should come out of the group, but I certainly think the Swiss will uh will give it a go anyway. And this is probably the last World Cup for a whole bunch of that squad, so they'll they'll want to go out on a on a bit of a high. Um, Scotland head coach Steve Clark says he is disappointed with Celtic's decision not to release players for next week's friendly in Turkey. 
Celtic play a friendly tournament in Australia during the World Cup break and therefore don't want to let their players go. Um, it's not an official international window, so therefore clubs don't have to release their players. And in truth, uh, this friendly that Scotland are playing is a bit of a nonsense. But Celtic have taken a stand that they're not going to release the players. They want them to have a bit of a break and then they want to go on this trip to Australia. But um, Calvin Ramsey, the young Liverpool fullback who's just returned from injury, he has been given his first call-up to the 23-man squad. And Ryan Jack, the young Rangers midfielder, he's also been included despite missing some recent games. The squad is Craig Gordon, Liam Kelly and Robbie McCrory. Grant Hanley, Jack Hendry, Scott McKenna, Nathan Patterson, Ryan Porteous, Calvin Ramsey, Andy Robertson, and Kieran Tierney. Uh, the centre-back options there are a little bit grim outside of Scott McKenna. Stuart Anderson, Lewis Ferguson, Billy Gilmore, Ryan Jack, John McGinn, Kenny McLean, and Scott McTominay are the midfielders. And then you've got Che Adams, Jacob Brown, Ryan Christie, Lyndon Dykes, and Ryan Frazier as the forward players. So there are a couple of players short of what their full squad would be, obviously. The, some of the Celtic players, uh, Aaron Hickey is injured. He would be in the squad, but you know, they already have two left backs. Um, who else is missing? There's a couple of others that are missing there, but it's it's you know, Scotland aren't exactly in a in a great spot at the moment, but they've got they've got great fullbacks. That's what we'll say to say about Scotland. They've got great fullbacks. Uh Croatia have also named their squad. Uh Livakovic. Ivasic and Gerbic are the goalkeepers. Vida, Lovren, Barisic, Juranovic, Gvardiol, Sosa, Stanisic, Erlich, and Satula are the defenders. No real surprises there, I suppose. Uh, Luka Modric, Mateo Kovacic, Marcelo Brozovic, Mario Pasalic, Nikola Vlasic, Lovro Meyer. Kristin Jakic and Lukas Susic or Sukic are the midfielders. It's a really, really, really strong midfield group. It's one I really like. There's so much talent there. Um, and some of it is still emerging talent as well. And then you've got Ivan Perisic, Andrei Kramaric, Bruno Petkovic, Maz Mislav Orzic, Ante Budimir, and Marco Livia as the forward options. Pretty strong Croatian squad. Uh, obviously, they were the runners-up in the last World Cup. I don't think anyone expects them to do as well this time around. But they will probably be one of the favourites to come out of their group. They're in with Belgium, Canada, Morocco and Croatia. No, Belgium, Canada and Morocco. They are Croatia. They face Morocco first, then Canada, and then Belgium in the last game. So I think they'll be one of the favourite two with Belgium to come out of the group. But... Canada and Morocco, they're decent teams. They are decent teams. Um, so you're not going to be able to overlook them. Been through Osasuna against Barca. Ali bin Nasser, the hand of God ball precedes a gift to Tunisian referee. Tunisian referee Ali bin Nazar says he is auctioning the football with which Diego Maradona scored two of the most famous goals in World Cup history in order to not only donate to charity, 
but also set his family up for life. The match ball used in the famous 1986 World Cup quarterfinal between England and Argentina, which Argentina won 2-1, carried an estimated price of 2.5 to 3 million pounds. The Adidas Azteca Bowl is set to be sold on the 16th of November by Bin Nasir, who officiated the match at the Azteca Stadium in Mexico City 36 years ago. That bowl is part of football history and it is time to share it with the world, he told BBC World Service. Maradona netted his controversial Hand of God goal to put Argentina ahead before adding a sensational solo effort which has become known as the goal of the century. Now 78, Nasir says he hopes the proceeds from its sale will provide a better life for his family as well as fund charitable work in his native Tunisia. I was a referee from 1966 to 1991 and an international referee from 1975 to 1991. My career speaks for itself and I don't have to keep talking about it. The money is going to honour my career and with that money I'm going to make sure my family is set and I'm going to do a lot of charity with it. Well, good for him. Good for him. That is a gift to me from God after many years as a referee. The ball was used for the full 90 minutes, which remains one of the most defining and controversial contests in World Cup history. The Hand of God goal was on 51 minutes. And then uh, the second goal, which is just, I still think, the greatest goal ever scored. Um, scored scored after that. What, what an absolutely incredible uh, second goal that was. The first one was brilliant. I just said the first one might be my favourite goal ever. Um, he's explained that he didn't see the view. Look, the bottom line on this has always been for me, what height was Peter, Peter Shilton? Peter Shilton height. Peter Shilton was six foot tall, okay? And Diego Maradona, if I'm not mistaken, was five was five eight. Five five. Is that right? That can't be right. I think he was taller than that. We'll say 5'7". Let's just say he's 5'7". So Shilton has five inches of height and he can use his arms. So that's another, what, two foot? Easy? Two and a half foot? There is no excuse for Peter Shilton being out-jumped by Maradona in any fashion, even with the use of his hand, because his hand is quite close to his head. It's not like he had it outstretched. There is no excuse at all for Peter Shilton being outjumped for that one. So I, I just, I Peter Shilton, I have no sympathy for your plight. No sympathy at all. Uh, let's run through some of the news. We've got team talk open here. Um, Klopp must act fast as Ten Hag plans Manchester United transfer hijack for 26 million attacker. Uh, I assume that's Yusufu, Yusufa Makoko. Um, uh, to my knowledge, Liverpool have done some of the groundwork towards getting that player in January on a pre-contract for the summer. Uh, I don't think United have much chance of hijacking it. I think if he does anything else, it'll be to stay at Borussia Dortmund. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I don't think he'll go to United if he does... If he does leave Dortmund, I don't think he'll go to United. Uh, title chasing forward tops Manchester United wanted list. That is, by the looks of it, Victor Simeon. 
Um, he is not leaving anytime soon. Fabrizio Romano reveals Klopp plans to sell unwanted duo. Fabrizio Romano has not got a breeze what Liverpool are doing. Not a single breeze. This is brilliant. The future of Naby Keita at Liverpool continues to pose question marks to those who in control at Liverpool. And now Fabrizio Romano has come clean on the Reds' plans. He doesn't know anything. He knows nothing. The man is a spoofer and a buffoon. Oh. The, the, the credibility this fella has been able to garner for himself because he's got an Italian name and an Italian accent. He is a spoofer. He is laughed at in his homeland. Laughed at. He's not taken seriously at all. Nico Shearer is a more respectable journalist than him. And he's a bit spoofy as well. Uh, Jude Bellingham. Liverpool hopes hope fades as agent reveals star changes mind. Um, I don't think his agent has revealed anything of the sort. What we saw last night was that Manchester City have been deemed the favourites by Mike Keegan. Now, Mike Keegan is very, very well connected at City. He broke the news of... um, He broke the news of Haaland going there. He also broke the news about what Haaland is earning. But... The idea that he's going to know the ins and outs of Jude Bellingham, I, I, I just I can't wrap my head around that. City may feel like he's going there, but that doesn't make it true. Uh, but this this article is based on the word of Hayden Dodge, who is connected to the Bellingham camp. Well, let me uh, tell you, no, he's not. Because the company he works for has absolutely nothing to do with Jude Bellingham. And if he was in any way connected to Jude Bellingham. He wouldn't be talking to caught offside and he certainly wouldn't be telling any of the secrets of Jude Bellingham's desires for where his career goes next. Uh, what have we got in Football 365? Young Son has been declared fit for the World Cup, so that's obviously a big, big boost uh, for both him and Korea. Reese James obviously devastated to be ruled out. Um, Graham Souness is back. Liverpool and Tottenham to get into the top four, but thinks one club is in jeopardy. Um, who? Sinus does not think Newcastle, Chelsea, or Arsenal will end up in the top four. I am now in agreement with him. I initially thought Chelsea would, and that Arsenal would be the one to miss out, but it is going to be Arsenal in the top four, and Chelsea to miss out, Um, in my view. Now, that, that obviously can change depending on what happens in January, but injuries and whatever else. Arsenal urged to make 20 million January signing as our tennis side are completely different without two stars. Arsenal have been told they should sign Yuri Tielemans. I just don't think Leicester will sell him. I think they'd rather take the hit and lose him for free. Jurgen Klopp admits not signing outstanding Tottenham star was one of his biggest mistakes. Hyung Min Son. Hyung Min Son. Yep. I fully agree. Fully, fully agree. He is incredible. And uh, it's an awful shame that um, 
Well, it's enough to say from my point of view and from Klopp's that he didn't get to play for Liverpool. Uh, but he's been brilliant for Spurs, obviously. Absolutely sensational. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot else we can really hit, so we might as well just wrap on the gossip. Manchester City are favourites to secure the signing of Jude Bellingham. That's that report from uh, from Keegan yesterday. Uh, Chelsea have had several meetings with Palmieri's 16-year-old striker, Endrick. I wouldn't imagine they've any, had any meetings with him. They've probably had meetings with his representatives. But face competition from Real Madrid and PSG. We should have learned by now that <clears throat> uh, Real Madrid get these players. That's just what they do. Newcastle have a clear run at signing... <clears throat> excuse me. Newcastle have a clear run at signing Yannick Carrasco in January as Atletico Madrid are likely to sell the 29-year-old. He's okay. He's good. He's not great. Uh, Tottenham are looking to replace Hugo Lloris next summer. They should have done that last summer. Tottenham are keen on Marcus Edwards playing out of his skin for sporting at the minute. Came through the Spurs ranks. Would he be willing to go back there? Uh, who knows? Uh, Manchester United tend to fight Chupa Moting. As a replacement for Cristiano, he will probably be better right now. Uh, British billionaire Sir Jim Radcliffe has ruled, been ruled out of buying Liverpool as they no longer see value in buying a top Premier League club. It's bizarre considering they saw value six months ago and three months ago, but it is what it is. I don't really want them anyway. Um, there's a sniff off his politics that wouldn't sit well with me. Dubai International Capital are interested in the move for Liverpool. I don't think they really are because they don't really have the money uh Dubai international capital as an entity tend to buy smaller cheaper businesses and try and grow them Conor McGregor says he's requested interest in buying Liverpool I would rather if the Bin Laden family bought Liverpool than have that buffoon involved in my club uh, from look I will always not always I will support him in most of his conquests as a as a UFC fighter I want nothing to do with him, purely because he's Irish. No other reason. I want nothing to do with him outside of his UFC career. Nothing to do with him. Uh, an abhorrent human being. Um, Barcelona are considering signing Wilf Zaha. I doubt it. Everton manager Frank Lampard is keen on Luke Shaw. Okay. said that. Makes little sense. I'm not sure why he would go there or or anything else, but you know. Uh Shakhtar Shakhtar Donetsk and Ukraine winger Mikhail Mudrik has held positive talks over a move to Arsenal in, in January. Juventus are set to compete with Barcelona for the signing of Jorginho. His agent is working overtime. Overtime. Manchester United have scouted Bren, Ben Breert and Diaz, though a host of Premier League clubs are interested in a January move. I just don't think they'll sell him in January because they're going for promotion. I could be wrong, but I, I think they'll take the hit. Liverpool have sent scouts to look at Mitlian's 21-year-old Danish winger, Gustav Isaksen. That one's been going around for a little while. Memphis Depay will demand to leave Barcelona in January with Manchester United and Tottenham monitoring his situation. Liverpool manager, yeah, this is the and something again. Uh, Arsenal weighing up whether to loan out Marquinhos in January. He's made only one Premier League appearance since joining. He looks he looks well away from the required level right now. So sending him out on loan to get games, maybe in a favourable league like Belgium or something, could be beneficial. 
Leeds Scottish midfielder Stuart McKinstry is wanted by Burnley. Is it is it my mate Wayne? It's no, it's not. It's Pete O'Rourke. Well, he's been wrong a bunch lately. There's a reason he's writing for Football Insider and he's no longer at Sky Sports. Leeds are at the front of the queue to sign George Hall. That one's been going on for a while. It looks like there is truth in that. And that is it, folks. That is me for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Questions day tomorrow. Send them in on Discord or on Twitter at Mr. Two-Footed. DM me if if you can. Um, otherwise, you know, tweet me, but maybe tag Guy in it so Guy sees it as well because I might not see it because I'm a bit ignorant like that. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.